Hi, welcome to the 2045 podcast. My name is Sofia, and this episode is all about sustainability. If you already know the podcast, you also know that I love talking with other young innovators who are making a real impact in the world by leveraging the power of exponential technologies. This is obviously the case of Adara Hagman, a creative disruptor, futurist, designer, explorer at heart, and writer. She is on a mission to help create a more sustainable future through design and circular systems. Some of her previous projects include carbon sequestration technologies, alternative proteins, diving a little bit into the future food there, energy with piezo with piezoelectricity and batteries, and much more. However, she is currently designing the sustainable future of fashion, also building something called microbial fuel cells to remove dye from water in textile production, which is, by the way, a huge problem. If this only starts to make sense, don't worry, because we'll be diving deep into each of these topics during the episode, and of course, Adara will be telling you what all of these concepts mean. But just before that, as an introduction, I'd like to mention the reason behind me reaching out to Adara specifically to record this, and also why I'm doing an episode on sustainability. So you see, over the past months, I've been asking myself the question of what it means to solve the world's biggest problems. Um, you may already know as well that I'm part of this human accelerator called the Knowledge Society. It's really wonderful if you want to check their site out. I'm going to leave it in the description below. But the reason I'm mentioning it is because part of the mission of this program and this community is to train the next generation of innovators, entrepreneurs, scientists, and founders to solve the world's biggest problems. And then I asked myself the question, why would I want to solve a problem? Because the truth for me, even right now, is that I don't feel that drive to solve a problem. I want to create something cool, something cool with technology, something like the next Facebook, you know? But I've never felt that desire to solve something like cancer or climate change. And sometimes I think that it is because I haven't experienced a, an important problem or a pressing problem really directly, which I'm grateful for, of course. But I'm curious to know what people passionate about these problems think, um, yeah, how they think, how they think about these problems. And specifically, I reached out to Adara because I know that she is using technology to try to contribute to the solution. And why do I think technology is important? Well, because, you know, I've noticed that there are a lot of people interested in the problem. You know, they're worried about the problem. And that's awesome because we need awareness. But at the same time, I'm thinking, <laughs> I've already said thinking like 10 times, but I'm thinking that if we had enough people leveraging technology to try to solve this problem, then we'd probably already solved it. That's my analysis from a very superficial point of view. And also there are people like Peter Diamandis who say that in order to solve the world's biggest problems, you need to use the most advanced technologies, cutting edge technologies. So I found that Adara had both of these things, you know, the passion for our environment, but also the curiosity and enough knowledge 
to make a difference with technology. So that was probably the longest introduction that I've ever recorded for the 2045 podcast. I hope it's brought a little bit of context and even value to you. So yeah, I'm really excited to interview Adara for us all to learn how to build a sustainable future. And let's get started. Hi, Adara. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you for having me, Sophia. I'm super excited to chat about this today. Awesome. So I guess that the first question is just um, please give us an overview of the projects that you've done and why you got interested in sustainability in the first place. Awesome. So I think I'll start with like the why behind why I went into sustainability in the first place. I think it's always been something that I cared about um, from an early age. And I think that was developed. Um, and for me, I loved exploring nature and I loved animals and all of those different things. Um, so because I loved those things, it just kind of developed into something I cared about. And when I learned that we had climate change occurring, and that these animals were losing their habitats and started watching nature documentaries and like even personal experiences, I felt so upset about it. And I wanted to help protect them. And I was like, we need to do something about it. I just had no idea when I was younger. Um, I remember one specific experience was I went to this wolf reserve um, in Calgary. So I'm from Canada. And I went to this wolf reserve at Banff National Park, which is a big national park here. And they only had two wolves left in the wild at the time. And I was like, you only have two wolves left in the wild and you're like this huge national park. I was so concerned and I was, I just felt like it was so pressing. Um, I don't know how many they have left now, but that was just so shocking to me. And I remember that experience so much. And I was like seeing how urgent it is that we need to act on climate now. But again, I didn't know what to do. So I went with kind of an advocacy route for a while. Um, I would just talk about how I cared about climate, that we need to make action, that we should plant trees and all these things. But I really didn't know that much about specific problems and what to do and how I could really make action. And then I joined um, TKS and I started learning about emerging technologies. And my one of my first focuses I really loved was genetic engineering. Um, and when I looked at it, you can use it for so many health applications. Um, but I, I don't know, I just, one of the first questions I asked was, can we make trees sink more carbon dioxide? That would be so cool. I don't know, it's just like something I thought about. Um, and from there, I started thinking and looking more into um, if we could genetic engineer plants, um, if we can protect animals by genetic engineering them from climate change. Um, and I started working on this project with my friend Lauren called Photome, um, which is all about if we can genetic engineer plants to help curb climate change. And that was like one of my first kind of projects at the time. And then um, I started looking into more carbon sequestration applications after that. And over the years, I started changing focuses in climate because there was so much I was interested in and I wanted to learn. And the goal of mine is to like understand as many areas in climate as I can so I can figure out what to do. Um, I ended up going into the future of food. Um, and my friend Nyla and I worked on a project called Carbivore where we were trying to look at insect proteins and if we can use those to make the typical protein products we eat, like burgers and hot dogs and all of those, but out of crickets and other insects because they're more sustainably farms. And then we looked into other areas of the future of food as well, and I learned so much. Um, it's super fascinating. Um, and then from there last fall, 
and started looking into energy. I did a focus with my friend Kevin on piezoelectricity, which is essentially like how can we capture vibrational energy? So if you have um, piezoelectric tiles um, and you put them into things, for example, you could put it into floor tiles and walk on it. You can generate some electricity from just your daily movement. I thought that was so cool. And that should have been like a bigger thing. But I learned it wasn't super efficient for us to use our day-to-day as like a um, kind of like power of the future, but it's something we can incorporate into powering different things. Um, and I learned a lot from that experience. And then I looked at batteries and energy for a little bit. Um, and most recently, um, because I realized I need to like get more depth into these areas. So I want to like focus on the area I'm in for the next while now, but I started looking into fast fashion and I chose that one as the one that I want to get the most depth in first, because I'm really passionate about design as well. I love fashion, um, but I feel horrible because I know that the fashion systems we currently have, like our other systems have a huge impact on the planet. So I started looking into sustainable materials for fabric and the project I'm working on at the moment is figuring out how we can remove dye from water and textile production, um, which we normally often dump into bodies of water because wastewater treatment is expensive. Um, and I'm utilizing microbial fuel cells, which are kind of like these living batteries that use bacteria to eat waste. And I think they're super promising for the future of wastewater treatment because they generate electricity over using electricity, which we normally use in wastewater treatment at the moment. So that's what I'm up to. Um, But as a whole, I really want to see a future where we help to create circular systems ones where we're not using a lot of waste, but we can keep recycling things in food systems, energy systems, water, all of those different areas. Um, and I'm hoping to learn more about those as I continue to, to grow. Wow, this is wow. This is like a lot of things that you're working on, right? And uh, I think it's really cool that you're actually exploring a lot of things, but actually they all come to this um, vision and mission that you have of creating more sustainable and circular systems, right? So now my question is, uh, since you have a breadth and depth of knowledge, what do you think are some of the most important areas that humanity needs to get involved in as a whole in order to tackle climate change in a more precise but also in a more aggressive way. Yeah, <laughs> the clock is definitely ticking. It's really urgent. Um, I hope that we continue to like push more and make more action. I, I would say like the two focuses I think we need to have. Actually, no, three. <laughs> First, we need to, of course, um, remove a lot of our, our CO2 and, and, and that whole problem and from the atmosphere. Um, so obviously... Um, furthering technology and carbon capture and if we can make that circular so figuring out how we can take the co2 and products we capture from our atmosphere and turn them into new products or sink them um, into the ocean and, and different places like that um, i think that's super important obviously to first mitigate global warming and our planet heating up even faster um, i know that at the elon musk carbon capture or carbon sinking prize i'm not sure which one it is but um, the carbon prize the new one um, just launched this month so i think that hopefully can accelerate people to work on that more now um, i'm hoping but that's going to be a big one we obviously need to not be putting as much co2 in the atmosphere and figuring out how we can turn it into new products and sink it effectively in terms of um, kind of longer term and just like making an impact so that we continue to like not hurt the atmosphere in the future and everything. We need to really work on our energy systems as like one of the main areas. Um, and we're going to need obviously more renewable energy sources. And I think it's really nuclear and solar that are going to be the big ones. Um, and when we look at like energy systems, what we need 
as the criteria is we need to produce a zeta joule of energy. That's a lot. And the only technologies that can really think about the moment that can do that are nuclear and solar. Um, so continuing to work on how to make those efficient and, and improving those is going to be a big thing. Um, but obviously we can try different types of electricity as well. And when it comes to any climate technology, I think we have a lot of the technologies that we can use to make our systems more sustainable um, and to, to help address climate change at the moment. It's just a matter of scaling them out and making them cheaper. Because the systems we have today um, were designed to be like as efficient as possible and to be cheap, and that's why we use them. And a lot of these are like linear systems, and they create waste, and they're not great for the planet because they were designed for a different purpose. So if we can make the technologies that we need to address climate change or to improve energy or any of these things um, cheaper, as long as, as well as being more efficient, then that's going to be an option that we can change to. Like for example. Um, I think, would say we have a good amount of wind turbines now, but before we were even able to move to wind turbines, we had to make it cheaper so that we could actually do that feasibly. And there's a lot of technologies that we have that could be super impactful, but we won't yet move to because they are quite expensive. So it's just not super feasible for us to use them yet. Um, and we also do want a high efficiency in all of our systems as well so that we can continue to make the things that we need to make our products and everything. And the last piece is I just think as a whole, another more long-term one, but I think we should start implementing it now um, and having people work in all the different spaces of it. But I think we need to move, well, we need to move to um, circular systems or you can call them closed loop systems too, just ones that we're able to renew products like that. The, the CO2 one that I talked about where we can capture CO2 and turn into new products. If we can do that with other types of waste, like food waste and recycling more of the materials we use for creating products, like in fashion, if we can make sure we're always recycling our textiles and turning them into new products. Um, those are the kind of systems that will be really great for the future. Um, same thing with like our wastewater. If we can generate electricity in the process um, and just in a loop, continue to use like the same water um, without harming the planet, that would be really awesome. So having circular systems is going to be really important to both protect our planet and be able to still create the things that we need. Um, and there's just so fundamental, I think, for what we need to move to. It will just take a lot of people working on different areas. And obviously, again, making all those technologies and things is cheap, but also efficient as possible. I think that was what you mentioned about like making these technologies both scalable uh, so they can be accessible for more people and we can actually use them just as we use, uh, I don't know, petroleum right now uh, is very important, right? So I have also been thinking about this idea of like sometimes we we say these phrases like we need small changes to make big, uh, small actions to make big changes, right? But sometimes I also think about uh, aggressive changes to actually make uh, aggressive changes, right? To implement uh, high technology like uh, super cutting-edge technologies to solve the world's biggest problems. So I'm curious to know about your opinion. How do, how do we find this balance between a lot of people collaborating in order to solve climate change, in order to have a sustainable future, but also implementing, like, uh, I don't know, as you were mentioning, like Elon Musk's prize. So do you think that um, there's one side that could contribute more to a solution than the other one, like small changes versus big changes? I do think there's a balance, um, but with our climate crisis right now, we don't have a lot of time left to make our change. We, we need to be moving faster as it's super urgent, um, but we're going to need change in many different areas. Policies are super important too. 
Um, there's a lot of policies that can hold back the technologies we need to actually make some of this, like you said, aggressive climate action um, and let these like technologies be used, like I said. Um, and we're going to need big changes in certain spaces so that we can make action as soon as possible. But there are also small changes that will influence bigger changes. There, it, It's totally true that if people to completely stop using certain products, then brands will see that we need to produce things differently. Um, and, and petitions can make a big impact too. If you're telling one of your favorite sneaker companies that you want them to figure out how they can become zero waste, that could be super impactful as well. So we just need action as many places as we can. And um, as many people amplifying like messages and moving towards circular systems and, and working on all these different systems in this space. Um, so I think they're all important. I do want to mention, though, I don't think it always needs to be cut, super cutting edge technology that makes an impact. I think sometimes um, it can be really simple solutions that can make a big impact. Maybe not small, um, but things that already exist, um, say, something I think really is important in, in like climate action is natural solutions. Um, because our planet, I think, is super cool. It's like our oldest R&D lab, when you think about it, for like billions of years, it's been perfecting its technology and nature and ecosystems, and there's so much we can learn from that. Um, if you want to learn more about it, it's called um, biomimicry, and you can look at like how nature does different systems and inspire that into solutions. But um, even for just carbon technologies, we can use more sea kelp or protect our oceans and, and use our natural carbon sinks to, to do a lot of that because they're amazing at it. Um, we could use some cutting-edge technologies like genetic engineering to help improve those processes maybe or like um, bring them on land or other things like that. But sometimes um, the simplest like changes can make a really big impact. It might not even be um, a natural technology. It could just be like in some sort of system, if we change one thing, if you look really deep into the road and you change one thing, that could make a huge impact. And you wouldn't have known if you looked into it and we're trying to like figure out what is the coolest thing we could do because sometimes it's something really simple that could make a big impact. For sure. And now focusing a little bit more on your projects, I think that personally I've been really interested in the future of food lately, you know, like cultured meat and insects and culturing kelp and other things in the sea and so on. So I don't know if you could maybe give us a little bit of an overview because uh, sometimes maybe I did have this misconception that if we didn't take care of the planet, then we would have to eat insects and that would be it, right? But um, there are some other technologies, I think, that are arising and maybe helping us to make uh, create this sustainable future that can both give us what uh, we currently eat, for example, without hurting the planet. So um, yeah, maybe tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah. Oh, I love the future of food space. It's so exciting to me. Um, I'm in this future food Slack community called Thought for Food. Um, would recommend joining. I just, I'm always so excited about all the things going on. Um, and they have a competition every year of like innovators just coming up with new ideas and awesome stuff. Um, there, the, the agriculture space and food, there's so many different areas, but um, I think the future of food will be exciting and that we can make the food that we love just in more sustainable ways, obviously, if you like eating meat, and I do. Um, and I always feel so horrible because of the impact that it can have on the planet. But I think in the future, we're going to have, you know, sell your agriculture, like you mentioned, so we can grow some of our meat in labs. Um, there's people working on lab-grown bacon, lab-grown steak, lab-grown, all these different, like, types of meats that we eat. But another side, too, is we can use insects to make those products as well. Um, 
which is what my friend Nyla and I were thinking about. It wasn't super catchy when we first did it, which is why we stopped working on the project. But I think in the future, it is going to be a bigger thing. It's just not its time yet. Sometimes it's not the right time for a technology or idea yet. But I, I think it, it will be bigger in the future, more people eating insects. There's a stigma in North America that eating insects is gross. Um, but we typically have insects in so many of our products that we don't even know. <laughs> like It's just something, and people, around the world, people eat insects in many different cultures. I think they're really great. Um, I love eating crickets personally, but we could put some of those and use that protein um, and mix it with things like beans or even use um, insect cells in cellular agriculture and lab-grown meat um, to make more sustainable meat products. Um, I think vertical farming is important as well um, to continue growing a lot of our produce. Um, but we can also continue typical farming as well, um, but just making sure that we're not using as many pesticides and we're using sustainable and regenerative agriculture practices. Um, I think regenerative agriculture is really important. Um, so that basically means we're like taking care of our soil health. Um, we're taking care of the land and making sure it has enough water, carbon, all the things that it needs so that we can keep farming things sustainably. Um, and this is something many people are working on. I have some friends working on regenerative agriculture at the moment, and I think it's going to be really huge um, for the future. It's just when it comes to like a lot of our mass production farming at the moment, it can become unsustainable and it can harm the soil and harm the planet and, and be hard to even produce crops later because it's hard to produce yields when our soil is not healthy um, or if we're having water shortages and all these other things as a result of our mass scale farming. But I think if we can figure out how to scale um, regenerative farming systems, that can be super important and we can still continue to farm um, different produce the way that we normally do. I'm also really excited about ocean farming, which um, regenerative farming can also play into as well. I think it's called Nemo's Garden. Um, they tried this project where they were like growing like tomatoes and food you grow on land in like little pods in the ocean. And I thought that was so interesting that we can do that. <laughs> um, but even farming, sea kelp, seaweeds, all those um, different plants, they're high in protein as well. Um, and it grows really fast. And I have some some sea kelp downstairs um, that I'm hoping to try some recipes with soon because um, I love seaweed, but I haven't tried to eat sea kelp yet. So I'm excited that the future of food, we can still make exciting new recipes. Ikea has this recipe book about the future of food. Um, so there's like we can just keep experimenting with making delicious food, but maybe with some different items and, and more sustainable practices, I'm hoping, in making those foods. Something that I find interesting is that sometimes we don't even notice uh, what kinds of actions can be either contributing to climate change and global warming or could be actually helping, right? Because we've been talking about the future of food and that involves meat, right? That uh, produces a lot of greenhouse gases and so on. And you were also mentioning that you have this project or, uh, yeah, like this mission to explore more of how fast fashion looks like. And I think that's one of those things that we don't even realize, like uh, dyes contaminate water or, I don't know, uh, factories producing wastes that we don't want to get into the environment. So could you tell us a little bit more about how fast fashion contributes or, yeah, not contributes, but it is actually uh, affecting our environment? Yeah, yeah. Um, in so many ways. <laughs> it, we're consuming a lot of clothes. Not everyone. Some people aren't purchasing clothes all the time. I, I know this doesn't apply to everyone, but like as a whole, um, we're producing over 80 billion new clothes per year. Um, this is part of fast fashion systems we've got to in the fashion industry where um, 
brands are trying to make clothes as fast um, and as cheap as possible. Again, those like linear systems to so that they can sell more clothes, they can make more money from the newest trends. And um, we're always having new collections from designers coming out. And then like um, other like fast fashion brands trying to re reproduce those trends in their own ways as fast as possible and send them to people. Um, so if you look at like Zara, they I think they have a turnover rate of like, I don't know what it is, but like two weeks or so they can make like a new outfit or something or maybe it's faster I don't know but that comes at a cost for the planet at the moment um, maybe in the future we can still make clothes relatively fast but maybe in a different way um, I think like it'd be interesting maybe if people could like order it when they want to actually have it and then they make it I don't know I'm just thinking about things but at the moment it's just not sustainable to be making these clothes super fast um, in the ways that we do it um, it's not only bad for the planet but also for people we have textile workers in factories working for really long hours for minimal wages um, and a lot of like child um, and like slave labor to make our clothes as well in like unsafe conditions but then also for the planet um, dyeing textiles for all the fabrics we use um, is the second leading cause of water contamination which I had no idea until I, I was looking into it because I was upset that we were having dyes in waters, but I didn't even know the size of the problem. I didn't know that that's the second leading cause of water contamination. Um, so I really wanted to see what we could do to do something about that. Um, and we're having obviously greenhouse gas emissions around 8% of our greenhouse gas emissions are from fashion production because obviously we have our factories and our systems and transporting all these clothes as we're getting them to people. Um, and then there's a lot of microplastics that come from our textiles and go into the ocean. Um, at the end of their life cycle, um, I think it's around 90%, um, could be higher again, but of our clothes end up in a landfill. Um, and around 95% of clothes can be recycled um, or we can find ways to recycle them. But at the moment we just put them in landfills at the end of their life and they just sit there for millions of years and take up ecosystems for animals and hurt the environment. So there's so many parts to the fashion system that are harming the planet and harming people. Um, and we need to make more innovation in this space um, to, to change this. Um, and there's lots of things we can do like having more slow fashion, but obviously brands won't be making as much money if they move to slow fashion and make things custom to people and don't make things as much as possible. So um, it's a challenge in figuring out how can we keep making clothes people love with more sustainable materials, um, with less waste, um, maybe capturing carbon as we make it, like all these different parts to it. And then also um, root cause problems like our water contamination, like the thing I'm working on right now, like can we turn dye waste into electricity and clean water? Is that something we can do that's more sustainable? Um, is there ways for us to remove microplastics from the ocean? There's so many parts of fashion, just like all these other systems for people to work on and start diving into and that we need to change to move to circular systems. But yeah, our, our fashion and our closets have a huge impact on the planet. Um, and we need to make more strides there to, to change that. For sure. And something that I'd just like to mention as a final question is that uh, I think that sometimes we have a lot of maybe climate or climate change activists and there's, um, you know, awareness is being raised around the topic and we are starting to take more small actions in our daily lives that uh, are hopefully going to improve the situation. However, I also sometimes stop and think, do we have maybe too many people talking about it and are we 
lacking action. So my question is uh, for you, what would you tell to uh, especially young people, you know, Gen Z, uh, who want to make a change in the world and want to have a sustainable future, but don't know where to start? Yeah. So the first thing I would say is um, we have a lot of climate activists, but that doesn't mean there's always action happening. Um, and I think we need, we do need climate activists. We need people in so many different areas working on policy, working on technologies, working on all these different things in the climate space, and that's all important. And we definitely need people to talk about this, like the activists, um, so that obviously we realize how urgent it is um, and that we need to make change. But if we have talk and no action, then not, nothing's really going to change much. Um, so I think with like the advocacy, if we can like all start like sharing more ways on like how we can make more tangible impacts and things like that. Because I feel like a, a common discussion point is like planting more trees. Um, but I don't think planting just trees is going to solve our carbon problem um, because we already don't have, we already like took down so much land where we had forests in the first place. So we'd have to get that back to put a lot of those trees back in the first place. And some of the trees would die if we planted that many and so many different things. I just don't think it's the way that we're going to sink all our carbon. We're going to need some other options as well, um, like ocean sinks. And we're going to need some artificial sinks too to help because we have so much carbon in our atmosphere and we keep pumping it out as we take more out. So it's not going to be just trees, in my opinion. I think we need to talk about other options. Um, we need to talk more about um, the circular economy, circular systems, moving towards those. The Ellen MacArthur Foundation um, does a great job at talking about a circular economy, but I just think as a whole, this is a bigger topic we need to move to in so many spaces um, and starting to make more action on. So if those are like more discussion points, um, but obviously I want people to still keep talking about the importance and urgency of making climate action because we need more people to know that. Um, and I think something a lot of people should know too um, is that like, even if you don't care about the planet, um, for climate change, you got to think like if our planet um, runs out of resources and we're hurting it, you're really just hurting humanity. So you're hurting yourself. Um, we're killing ourselves with climate change and that sounds so selfish, but that's something to think about as well. Um, that we're basically killing ourselves when we're hurting our planet. Um, so that's another thing I think people could tell people. Um, but if you want to make some more actions and, and figure out ways that you can start working on climate projects, I, I would start looking, like choose a problem and, and start diving deeper into it. Um, think about like, what are you passionate about? If you like research, maybe you can start um, reaching out to people, asking to learn more about the problem, diving deeper into it, um, thinking about solutions and, and literally just kind of creating a research project out of it. And then you can reach out to people and collaborate with researchers and figure out how you can start implementing this project. And um, there's different ways to do this. You can do this on your own. Um, you can join programs to learn more about technologies like TKS um, or other accelerators, things near you. Um, but you can also, um, if you like art, for example, maybe you can make a documentary. Maybe you can start a podcast like Sophia on, on climate. Um, or you can start a campaign for like a concert or something where you talk about like these things like there's like a lot of different options depending on what you're interested in or um want to support on we also need obviously policy so if you want to go on the policy side and start talking about these things that we're going to need to implement more of these technologies that we have let's move to circular systems to get more carbon out of the atmosphere all of that another big piece um there's so many different parts to it so it's really just about 
thinking about like what you're interested in and just going for it. Start now. Um, you can do like little pieces every day and then slowly like move towards like whatever your goal is to make an impact. Um, but you totally can make an impact too. And I think that's something a lot of young people like forget and it's hard to believe at times that we can do something big and we can work on these projects because I had no idea um, before. Like I, I started learning about emerging technologies that I could even work on projects. I thought that only talking about the problem was like what I was capable of at the time. Um, so really just get started into it. You can reach out to myself um, and I'd be happy to help or like guide you along the way. You can join climate communities to learn more about what you can do. Work on climate is a great climate community to join um, and talk to people there. There's other youth on the platform too. And then there's people deep in the climate space in so many different areas in policy um, and using data um, and working on specific climate solutions that you can talk to. And I'm sure would love to like help support and, and learn with you along your climate journey. Adara, I think that's, amazing advice for everyone listening and just finally I'm going to ask you a brief series of questions it, they don't need to have like a very long explanation uh, they're quite simple and there's no right or wrong answer so the first one is which would you say are the three most important skills to have in the 21st century ah three most important uh, I think learning how to learn how to be an ultra learner um, just learning things on your own and figuring things out it's a really big skill Um, next one is, I think resilience is a big skill. Things are going to change often. Um, you're going to fail, but having resilience is a, a great thing. Um, my last one is, I'm not sure what to call it, but I think collaboration, like communication, people skills, working with other people, because um, we need to collaborate to make change and in so many different ways. Um, so learning how you can best communicate and work with other people and be empathetic and all of that is a great skill. Okay, then which three books would you recommend to anybody regardless of their background? I love The Little Prince a lot. It's just such a great book. It always inspires me. That's one of my favorite books. Um, I really enjoyed The Subtle Art of Not Giving an F. <laughs> that was a good book. Um, Or maybe, I don't know, resources related to climate change or to sustainability? I really like, um, oh, okay, resources to sustainability and climate. Oh my gosh, I have so many. I could send some after if you have like a notes on your podcast. Sure. Um, but I really love the Ellen MacArthur Foundation. If you want to learn more about like the circular economy, more of that, work on climate, like I mentioned, is super great. Um, I listen to a lot of podcasts too. I'm really enjoying this one called City of the Future. Um, I think that's what's called or Cities of the Future, something like that. City of the Future by Sidewalk Labs. And I know they're not in operation anymore, but they used to make like an episode on like different ideas for um, cities of the future. And I like to think about like what is like the way that we're going to live, look like in the future. Both in like a sustainable way, but also like how can we make it fun and sustainable? I love looking at that as well. So I listen to a lot of podcasts more than I read for sure. <laughs> cool. Now, what does success mean to you? I think it's a very personalized thing. Um, it's like having a vision of like what success is. And then once you hit that, that's success. And 
also knowing like what would failure be because maybe it's not exactly like the opposite of it but maybe it's just like not hitting a certain metric but for me um in my life I think success in like a broader sense there can be success for like specific projects and things but I would just love to be working on um designing and implementing and circular systems and helping to create a future where we have more of those in different spaces. I'm not sure if it's going to be one specific system I work on. Like at the moment, I'm just going to be working on fashion for quite a while, but it could be something completely different that I focus on, or I might just work on a broader sense and maybe design um, circular living and systems and things like that. So I'm not entirely sure, but that's what I want to be working on and helping to create that future where we can live more sustainably and protect our planet. What's the number one piece of advice that you'd give to a young person to achieve their goals? I think it's to start. <laughs> it can be like so easy to be like, yeah, I'll do it tomorrow. Um, or I'm not ready. I don't have the resources yet. I have no idea how to start. Um, but I think you just have to have a, like, a leap of faith and believe in yourself and know your why. I think knowing your why is super important, um, why you want to do it, and, and keeping that as something to help you when it gets hard. Um, and then just get started, start researching how you can do whatever X thing is you want to do and figuring it out um, as you go and, and reaching out to people. Um, and maybe you don't have time, like a ton of time every day to work on it. I think that can be a big excuse for some people. They're like, I, I don't have an hour every day. I don't know when I'm going to have time to work on this. But it's like, do you have 15 minutes? I think you probably maybe have 15 minutes. And if you don't have it tomorrow, probably have it some other days. But um, say you have 15 minutes, right? Like just book that little 15 minute block every day to work on whatever that thing is. Um, and you'll be making some progress every day. And I think it's about like just consistently um, progressing. So like growing 1% or even growing 0.5% every day, um, if that's all the time that you have. But, you know, you can make progress and it's, it's totally possible. It doesn't need to be a huge amount every day. And finally, I think you've already mentioned this, but what's next for Dara? What's next for me is continuing to work on some fashion projects. Um, and obviously, I'm still going to be looking into other systems as well because I want to stay up to date um, and have like different intersections that I can think about and, and know. I want to just develop myself to be um, an expert in, in climate specifically and circular systems. It's a big one for me. So understanding more about what's new in future of food, future of water, all of these different areas. But for me, I'll be working on fashion for the next while now, figuring out how we can remove dye from water and textile production and how we can make clothes that we love without harming the planet and people. Sounds awesome. Thank you so much for coming to the show, Adara. I'm sure we'll continue to hear more amazing things from you. And let's stay in touch. <laughs> Thank you, Sophia. It's been a fun one. And that's it for this episode. It was really interesting to talk to Adara. Definitely, I've learned something new and I hope you've learned something new. Probably we've raised awareness about this crisis, about solving the world's biggest problems, about the importance of technology in solving the world's biggest problems. In any case, if you're feeling curious, then don't hesitate to contact Adara. I've left her social media links in the description below. Remember that we have also social media for the 2045 podcast at 2045 podcast on Twitter and Instagram. See you in the year 2045. And by the way, if you don't know what that means, then you should definitely go and check out the episode Till the Heat Death of the Universe. Bye bye.